From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, September 15th. Midweek at the large reservoir south of town, a place people go to swim, paddleboard, and fish, it was quiet. New yellow signs dotted the shores of the lake, reading, Health Watch, Harmful Algae in Water! This algal bloom could be the first of its kind at Ken's Lake, at least the first documented. That's according to Southeast Utah Environmental Health Director Orion Rogers. He says the bloom is actually a cyanobacteria that grows like a plant. And cyanobacteria, it's been on Earth longer than probably anything else. We can thank it for our oxygen in our atmosphere that that started producing back in the Precambrian. So it's been around forever. Um, There's lots of different kinds. Some of it can produce toxins, some of them can't. The one that we detected last week was confirmed to be a species that can produce toxin. Um, However, the toxin testing that we did um, came back non-detect, so no toxins were present in the sample that I took last week. However, that can change overnight. That can change very quickly. That means Rogers will continue to test. If the algal bloom at Ken's Lake does suddenly start producing toxins, exposure can cause stomach pain, neurological symptoms, and liver damage. Even without the toxins, humans have been known to experience gastrointestinal distress and skin irritation. So, Right now, it's strongly advised for humans, pets, livestock to avoid the water at Ken's Lake. Right now, we're at a health watch level that could get increased to Mm -hmm. a warning level or a danger level, depending on what we find. On the health watch end of it, it says to be cautious when swimming. Really, it's not a great idea. Okay. So really, you're (laughs) saying like, you know, if you can avoid swimming, please do that. Just avoid as much contact with the water as possible. Can you tell us like... How did this come to be? How did the Southeast Utah Health Department start sampling, or does it always sample? Yeah, so Ken's Lake has not typically been sampled in the past. I don't think it ever has because it's not a lake that was assumed to be highly suspect for having a harmful algal bloom. Um, I received a number of uh, concerned citizen calls about the lake, so I went out there to see whether or not it was true. Um, first time I went out there, I didn't see any sign of the bloom, but decided that I would, you know, go check it out again last Wednesday. I, yeah, it was Wednesday. Okay. And I saw what looked very likely to be a harmful algal bloom. When What does it look like? It can look like a whole bunch of different things. It can, it grass-like clippings floating on the surface sometimes. Um, after it goes through like this genetic shift that can happen generally when it has begun uh, producing toxins, it'll look like spilled paint hmm. on the surface, mm-hmm. but it can vary widely. Generally, right now, the bloom seems to be hanging out kind of at the inlet and along the, the typical bathing beach out there that mm-hmm. many people frequent. Um, it's somewhat hard to see if you don't really know what you're looking for mm-hmm. currently, unless you're in the inlet area where it's, it's very prolific. Mm-hmm. Um, but I flew a drone around the lake and from an aerial view you can see the extent of it and it, it is relatively extensive is it like around the shoreline yeah. mainly yeah. okay so yeah. mainly where people are going to be entering the lake right okay and so it, it's strongly cautioned to not be submerging yourself in that water mm-hmm. just because even if it's not producing toxins it has a high cell count right now and that when there's a high cell count which is however many little creatures there are per milliliter, 
it can cause uh, skin irritations, gastrointestinal distress, stuff like that. So um, it's especially important to keep dogs out right now because dogs consume a lot of that water. Mm. Yeah, so right now it's still okay to be out there on boats, things like that, that are going to limit exposure, but certainly nothing that's going to cause ingestion and definitely don't be swimming where it's obviously a right. bloom. Can you tell us, you know, what, what causes it? That's a complicated question. <laughs> okay. Not easy to answer. No, it's not easy. Um, generally, what's, what's needed is a high nutrient load mm-hmm. in, the, in the water for it to thrive on. I mean, it's a plant. So it also needs light. It also needs warmth. So just like your house plant, like it needs water, it needs nutrients, and it needs a uh, relatively warm environment. Mm-hmm. And so typically where we see algal blooms and what they're generally associated with is areas with a high agricultural use, mm-hmm. uses of fertilizers, the presence of uh, livestock and their feces getting into the water mm-hmm. and providing fertilizer, essentially. Right. And so that's where we generally see it. So it is a little bit surprising to see it at Ken's Lake because the nutrient factor is not there as much as it is in mm-hmm. other areas. However, just speculation, there could have been sediments stirred up by some of the flooding that we've seen recently that would add to the nutrients, um, amongst many other things. So at this time, it's really not terribly clear why it's happening this year and we haven't seen it in the past it may happen next year it may not Mm -hmm. it's it's a very difficult piece of science it's just such a fickle organism that not a lot is truly understood Um, however one thing that is certainly understood is that algal blooms are being uh, identified more and more every year and in atypical places so there's a lot of uh, high alpine um, lakes and reservoirs in Colorado that are starting to see blooms now that haven't seen them in the past and are also somewhat surprising to see them. So what the root cause is, no one really knows right now, at least with this situation. Um, but continued testing is is the plan to kind of get a better idea of, of what's going on. You know, you're going to be continuing to test and sample Kenslake. Could this algal bloom like go away? When the temperatures drop, it's going to go away. I'd be very surprised if it lasted past uh, Thanksgiving. I feel like we're still quite a ways from Thanksgiving. We are. You said you wanted to do some more studies. What is on your mind? And what are you curious about in the next few years when it comes to these algal blooms in new places in our area? Just measuring things that are necessary for a bloom to happen and just to gain a better understanding of if we can predict these, if we can do anything to try to reduce that nutrient load. Like, it's not the case out there, but like other studies in the past have found like leaking septic systems mm-hmm. that were going directly into lakes and causing huge blooms. And, and that's something that can be fixed. In this case, Ken's Lake's upstream of any septic systems that are close. The nearest ones would be in Pack Creek and um, very unlikely to be affecting the lake because of distance. So so it's a little bit of a mystery right now. So getting a little bit more information about, you know, why this could be happening. Yeah. And so we just need to use caution. I think that it's just pertinent to realize that these are just part of our lives now. Orion Rogers, Environmental Health Director at the Southeast Utah Health Department, He wants people to know Ken's Lake is not a water source for local drinking water. It's used agriculturally. He says the water is still safe to use on trees and crops. For more updates on this issue, you can follow the Southeast Utah Health Department on social media. 
and now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Canyonlands Regional Airport will temporarily extend its services to Denver and Salt Lake City. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent speaks with Emily Arnson about the uncertain future of airline service in Moab. U.S. Department of Transportation has extended SkyWest contract to, to the end of the year rather than uh, October, Great. which I think is going to help a lot of people. For me, my biggest concern is a whole lot of folks use, use the, the airport to fly to Salt Lake for medical appointments. Mm. And now if we're not going to Salt Lake or Denver, but rather Phoenix, that's going to put a real cramp in their ability to just shuttle up to Salt Lake. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. I do. Sophia, right now, the reason why I'm here today and not Sophia is she actually, uh, we paid for her to take a trip with Redtail, who was also going to be offering flights. So she flew to Salt Lake this morning and she'll fly back this afternoon. Um, she might even be back at the office by the time I do. Um, so that'll be a story. Uh, and I'm, I'm not quite sure when Redtail is going to start offering uh, service. But um, the contract has been extended, and uh, it looks like um, we're okay until at least the end of the year. So basically nothing is going to change the way that it has been, right? Right. Okay. And then possibly Redtail is going to start service, or that is definitely going to happen? That's definitely going to happen. They've already got the agreement in place from what I understand. They're just trying to figure out the logistics. you got to have permission to land and all that stuff. You're going to need a hub. I don't know if they need a hub, but they're small small airplanes. But it'll be another way for people to get to Salt Lake while the other provider uh, takes people to Phoenix. Yeah, so Denver is pretty much out of the question now. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Was there anything else? Um, or it's just a bunch of question marks as of right now in terms of the SkyWest service? Um, everything is a question mark when it comes to the airport. Essential air service in, in the U.S. is always subject to cuts. It's it's there for rural areas. And essential air service, is that subsidized? Um, Heavily subsidized yeah. by the government right. to make sure that people have, uh, have air travel. And then with Redtail, it wouldn't be that essential air service. It wouldn't be subsidized, correct? It would not be subsidized. Yeah, no. okay. So that's too bad. All right, well, we'll keep watching that as it develops. School's got some new principals. Yes, both uh, Helen M. Knight Elementary and Margaret L. Hopkin Middle School have new principals. Michelle Searle, I believe I'm pronouncing her name correctly. If I'm not, I apologize. She's taken over at HMK. She comes from the Wasatch Front, uh, 20 years uh, experience uh, in education. And she seems, in reading the story, she seems like somebody who was born to uh, take care of kids in her professional capacity uh, as well as her personal capacity. She's doing uh, really good. She took over for Jill Tatton, who has taken uh, an administrative position with the school district. And uh, Carrie Barnard has taken over at uh, the middle school. Uh, Margaret L. Hopkins, she has been at the school, I think, for eight years and uh, she just worked her way up to that uh, that principal position, and she also uh, seems to our, our kids our kids will be in good hands mm-hmm. with with her at the helm. Did they talk at all about any concerns that they want to address at those schools? A lot of the concerns are just uh, imp- improving communication with parents. You know, uh, making parents feel like they have a, a say in how things are done, and and just more community outreach. Um, you know, the, the goal is always to uh, help kids uh, excel in academics and learn how to be social animals and um, all those other things. Okay. Did they say anything else that you wanted to mention? Yeah. Um, 
You know, the school district has struggled to fill positions, but HMK is fully staffed. And that's really good news. I think that's the first time that that's happened in quite a while. Okay. So that's good news. That is good news. Well, if people want to know more, they can read the story. Yep. And then also, one of the big changes is that the paper is now free, right? Yeah, it's free to everybody. It's going to be in everybody's mailbox or post office box and uh, also in racks around town. This is the uh, first edition that um, was published in Ogden. It's uh, going to be in everybody's mailbox. So that was different, uh, different uh, deadlines, not just for uh, reporters, but also for if you're interested in advertising or if your nonprofit has an event coming up, uh, pay attention. Uh, try to get those into me by Thursday now, if uh, if you can, uh, in order to get it into the following week's paper. The paper looks different. The paper has been uh, is being printed in a different location. That's the only change. I mean, it's still Sophia and I um, generating content. The same, uh, the same people are going to be sending us uh, important information to share with readers. Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. This summer, three leadership positions in the city government were vacated. Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News speaks with Emily Arnson about how the city is managing frequent turnover. Jared Garcia, who's the city's police chief, is leaving at the end of this month. And then uh, Annie McVeigh, who's, who was the city's Parks, Recreation, and Trails director, vacated her position, and so did Ben Billingsley, who was the city's finance director. And both of them left in June. And so all three of these people left to um, pursue like a new job or a home base or to focus on family life. Um, and they each said this in their official statements. And so I was really curious about kind of what the city is going to do now, because they just had these three super high-level people leave. Um So I talked to city manager Carly Castle about it, and she said that when somebody leaves a position at the city, there's, they always try to have a succession plan in place. So like Alexander Bell, who is the current assistant police chief is going to take over. And then Annie stayed on in a part-time role to like see the city through this hiring process. And then Ben Billingsley also helped onboard David Everett, who currently owns Back and Beyond. And he's going to take on financial director duties before someone can get started in a permanent role. Um, And so the city's really been thinking about succession planning, especially since Carly took over as city manager, because when she did, there was kind of this like turmoil in the city. Like we had just seen a city manager before her leave in this um, kind of like abrupt way. And the city attorney left in an abrupt way. And so Carly came in and really wanted to create like this culture of retaining people in the city. But it's hard to do that here. I mean, housing is really difficult, and the city in December purchased a duplex to provide transitional housing for city employees. And so two units in that duplex are available to employees on a six-month lease, and they bought it because they said they've had difficulty recruiting quality candidates for these positions because of a lack of available housing. And everyone who just left is leaving, like Jared Garcia got this cool new job at the Utah Department of Corrections and Annie McVeigh is moving to Missoula where she already had a house and Ben Billingsley said he's gonna um, focus more on his family life like when he moved here his wife was pregnant Um, and now you know he has two daughters and so really it kind of comes down to like Moab is kind of a difficult place to live for everybody 
Um, and that definitely includes the city employees. So the city offers like really competitive salaries, um, especially across the state and especially in rural areas across the state. But sometimes that just isn't enough. Like it is hard to have a family here and it's hard to like when back to school shopping comes around, it's hard to do back to school shopping um, when you need a lot of items that like maybe you can only get in Grand Junction or something like that. And so really the city is trying to like recruit and retain these super high quality people because, and Carly said this, that like we do really deserve those um, people working in our city, but sometimes it's hard to keep them here. Yeah. So they bought this condo. Sorry, yeah, can you explain so bought, the housing that they are trying to offer people? Yes, yeah, yeah. That was in December that they bought this house that's a duplex. So there's one unit on the top and one on the bottom. Um, and both units have multiple bedrooms, and so, like, families can live there. But, yeah, it's always meant to be transitional housing until employees can find something new. And a lot of people can't find something new. Like, when they did buy that house, both Jared Garcia and Ben Billingsley talked about when they moved here, that it was really hard to find somewhere where they could stay with their whole family. And now they all are leaving? Right. And yeah. now Jared Garcia and Ben Billingsley are both leaving. Right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the city did just hire a new Parks, Recreation, and Trails director who is going to be starting um, at the end of October. And we do have Alexander Bell, who was the assistant chief, is going to take over. And he is already established here. Like, he's been in mode for a little bit. But the city is still looking for a finance director to mm-hmm. start in Ben Billingsley's role. Mm-hmm. Is the person who's taking over for the police chief, is he going to be the new chief or is he the interim chief? Yeah, so he's going to be the new chief. Okay. Um, and he was always slated to be the new chief. That was kind of part of the succession planning. Um, Carly said, you know, they didn't want to leave the police department vacant if Jared Garcia did leave. And so, yeah, Alexander Bell was always going to become the next chief. Then they need to fill his position, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, when people leave, there are still these positions kind of left open. Curly also outlined a few policies that the city has in place concerning employee retention. Um, Like they offer really good salaries and robust benefits. Um, They also offer paid time off and paid sick leave. They have a housing stipend for police officers, a lot of work from home flexibility, and this really flexible work schedule. So a lot of employees work nine hours Monday through Thursday and then four on Friday. So they get afternoons off. And so really the city is trying to create this really like supportive workplace and she also pointed out that there are a lot of people at the city who have stayed for a long time um it's just kind of like these in-between years like the city has people who have worked for maybe one to three years and then there's this kind of gap once people hit four years or five years they don't have a lot of employees who have worked that long, but they do have a ton who have worked for, you know, like over six or seven years. Mm. Um, so it's just kind of this blank space that I think a lot of people in Moab feel where once you start hitting two, two years or three years here, then things that maybe you could overlook because it was so exciting to move here, just start getting a lot harder. Yeah. Are there other ways that the city is trying to like keep people around? So they try, whenever they do hire people, um, they try to use a variety of outreach options to ensure that, like, positions are getting advertised to locals and to a really broad 
audience um, and they try to make it really clear that housing is an issue here. So they post onto like the city's employment portal and the Utah Department of Workforce Services and then also open positions pop up on like Indeed and LinkedIn and websites like that. And so they are trying to really advertise these positions Mm -hmm. for people. Okay. What else happened this week? Yeah. So this is kind of looking ahead. It is mid-September somehow. And so one way to like ring in the new season is with the Youth Garden Projects Harvest Festival. Um, So we always preview this event every year because it's just like very cute. And it's also a good reminder that it's fall now. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so the Harvest Festival is going to take place on September 23rd from 3 to 7 p.m. at YGP. And there will be like activities and live music and food and um, kind of something for everyone. Nice what specifically is going to happen at the event yeah so um a staple of the event is the blue ribbon produce contest last year i had an eggplant win silliest whoa silliest okay reigning champion what did it look like um it kind of looked like a little booty okay it was very cute cute um but yeah so the blue ribbon produce contest is open to local gardeners who can enter their produce in categories like best classic fruit or vegetable best floor arrangement um, silliest, rarest fruit or vegetable, largest melon or squash. And then they have this category called best veggie creature for people who maybe don't grow their own produce. So that's where participants can create like a crafty creature from, um, produce that they sourced at the grocery store. So like a little corn with tomato eyes or something like that. (laughs) Um, and there's a jam, hot sauce, pie and pickle competition, So people who go to the Harvest Festival can vote on the produce and on all the hot sauce and jams and pies. Um, So there's lots of samples and there will be prizes for the winners. So and it's always like more fun when a lot of people enter. And so Amanda Gray, who's our reporter who wrote this story, talked to Jesse Shalvey, who's YGP's Outreach and Development Coordinator. She said that Moab doesn't always feel like fall, but this event really creates that atmosphere. Um, And it's a really fun way to meet your neighbors and learn more about the garden. And so there will also be like a ton of food made with YGP produce and activities like painting plant pots and garden scavenger hunt. Um, And there will also be donut on a string along with carrot on a string. Whoa, is that a game? Yes. I'm, I'm unfamiliar with this game. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're not familiar with this game. Okay, uh-uh. they you like tie a donut to a string and then you tie it up into a tree and you have to you have to like try to eat it with no hands. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do they swing it or it's just yes? Oh, okay, they do okay. swing it. And sometimes you get spun around. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Chaos. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that'll just be like very cute and fun, and it's always kind of a good. Like there are a lot of events in September, and I think a lot of people do look forward to the Harvest Festival. Allison Hartford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes on our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.